Welcome to Mind Rolling, our podcast for you. I'm David Silver, along with Raghu Marcus. So, Raghu, what are we what are we going to well, focus on today? Well, I thought we'd uh, focus on practicality, and boy, that's a, a big general term. The matter of practicality, and I guess um, what we really what what I was thinking of. Um, I think it goes back a little bit to our, uh, actually, our definition for mind rolling and our our uh, original, um, you know, picking up that name, even thinking of it, and it, and of course we've said this before, and it comes from a Tibetan tradition that we know nothing about, unfortunately. Sorry, folks. Um, again, we're just these two immigrants from Britain and Canada that came to the U.S. to make our way, and the finer things in life have eluded us, including the real translation of mind rolling. But we're going to get it. You know, we're we're going to interview a, a Tibetan Lama one of these days soon. Just it, it is. An, we do know it's an honorific, sort of like Lama or Sri, uh, for a certain branch of Nyingma Buddhism, and that um, the current. It's a woman who's the current mind rolling Jetson. I think she's called Mind Roller Jetson. Um, Kandro Rinpoche right. is her name, and right. we love her. And and really, you know, I think that this uh, when we speak of practicality, she speaks perfect English. And as a Tibetan, I mean, there's very few who. I mean, that's not true. There there are teachers. I mean, Trungpa Rinpoche from way back was sure perfectly, yeah. but uh, it's it's not so much that. Although that helps. It's it's the clarity. Uh, of of what she transmits these teachings, which are so incredibly uh, esoteric at times, and then very very practical at other times. And she, at least some of the things I've focused, uh, I've uh, 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 tuned in with her, uh, have been uh, enormously uh, practical and helpful. Um, so uh, I think I was just thinking, you know, this isn't about having to follow a spiritual path necessarily calling it anything i mean there's it's just the sense of of what's practical in your life what practical means you know what kind of balance can we get you know with with how we live um and let me just uh, and i will quote loosely Kondro rinpoche and uh, uh transcribed talk that that i had read that uh, she says we human beings live our entire lives indulging in activities that do not make much sense or are useful. Parents have no time for children. Children have no time for parents. Friends have no time for one another. We have no time. So in running from place to place, an entire life passes away. In the middle of all that, nothing actually stops. Life continues. The movement of time continues. So all actions are being accumulated. So we are absolutely creating karma on a continuous basis, even though we seem to be at times on a spinning wheel and, and without any balance. Um, uh, let me let me read from one other thing which um, we uh, we found in a recent uh, New York Times article by um, a freelance writer and photographer named Alexander Heather Foss, who is talking just about 
her particular brand of anxiety that she grew up with, and and she made a, a, a really um, astute comment, which is, our culture is not nurturing. We ask one another, how are you doing? But we don't really want to know. We don't really want that person to say anything other than fine, because that would mean we'd have to listen, to really care, something that most of us have not even done with ourselves. We want form responses, people who check all the right boxes, who say all the right things, whether they mean them or not. And as a result, we have a fine culture that is everything but fine. We pass whole lifetimes under the guise of fine, when all we really want is for someone to ask and care, how are you? How am I? So that this is just somebody who's, you know, expressing herself, how well that fits fits in with what Kanto Rinpoche has said about just, you know, being completely on, on this whirling wheel and not being able to get off and not being able to have any balance and not being able to say to somebody, you know, how are you and really want to hear it. Yeah. So it's an amazing little uh, juxtaposition here on on this. Uh, so talk well, a little bit about balance. That's one stopped. of the things that stops us is the power of, conven- of so-called conventional wisdom and paradigms within the societal paradigm that all of us, and certainly me included, um, in the West and increasingly in the East, in my trips to India, I've noticed, you know, modernization is rampant and it's hardly um, compassionate or thoughtful on our part to say, why are you indulging in this? Well, why should someone live in poverty? Why shouldn't they have a, an Audi and a satellite dish and so forth? But even given that, this conventional idea of the way we should live is wrapped up in what you were saying, Rago, about saying, how are you doing? And someone just goes, fine, but they feel terrible. They don't feel like it's right to say, God, I'm mm-hmm. just so depressed. You know, my kid isn't, is dysfunctional, or my wife isn't talking to me, and I can't pay the bills, and I'm unemployed if I, if I make one mistake in the office, so on. And it's hard to argue with that, because that's the way most of us have to live in this society. But thank goodness... It's a blessing that occasionally something comes your way, an article, a teacher, that just stops you, and then you stop, and you go, oh my goodness. And a lot of that, a lot of that wisdom to me is based on the idea of, of, of what Lama Surya Das calls presencing. Mm. And of course that's connected with Ram Das and with Eckhart Tolle, and with much, much wisdom. The idea of stopping this, even if it's just for a moment, and allowing yourself to live in the moment and appreciate the moment. And this is not just some hippy-dippy granola love and beads stuff. This is essential because we see so much dystopia in our society and we tend to blame it on politics and on economics and so forth. The fact is this presence is available to all of us for free instantaneously throughout our lives. And we, as you quoted, are on that spinning wheel and go through our whole lives it's only when mortality is sort of like looking at us, like, mm. you know, I'm not an ancient person, but certainly in, in the, getting towards the end of the third quarter, I'd say. Um, then out of pure fear, you think, oh, God, my body's going, and my possessions, I'll never know them again, and my children are grown up, and what have I got? Well, you've got this other thing, which is the moment, the presence, the now, mm. and we have it, and it's for free. And I think a lot of the antidote 
to this rushing thing where time is, is so precious. And yet we don't take advantage of this moment. And that's why people like Ramdas, and Ramdas in particular, because of Be Here Now for us in the West, have been so beneficial to us all in saying to us, wait a minute, the only thing we really have is this exact moment. This exact moment when you're listening to Rago and I now, when we're talking to you, this is what we're doing right now. And to be able to use techniques, to not grasp it, because that's the wrong word, but to just relax and go, okay, what's really going, what's really going on right now? And how can I love it? How can I feel the blessing of life? Mm. Those techniques are incredibly valuable to me. I just know that for large portions of my life and large portions of my present day, I'm still trapped. And I've studied them. What about people who are just going to work and caught in traffic and caught in the boss's prejudices and caught in the problems, other massive problems of living in a fast-moving society which really doesn't seem to care? How does someone deal with that if they haven't encountered any of these great blessing mm. teachings? I'd even like to back this up even further to um, talk about people that, you know, may be listening to us right now, and we may, we may use references, they're uh, either spiritual terms, spiritual teachers, or the such, and I think that if we go back to, you know, and here I am going to <laughs> say one of them, his Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Now, I think most people know who that is and um, and what he represents. I mean, I would say he's an example of the finest human being that is living on the planet right now. I mean, there's many of them, certainly as a public figure, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we've seen him many times in public uh, talks and so on. Um, and and his one of his famous uh, uh, T-shirts is... My only religion is kindness. So when we get this back down out of the spiritual uh, path, so to speak, and out of esoteric uh, uh, um, uh, terms and so on and so forth, and you just, you know, here we are. We're, we're normal people who are, you know, we're, we have a, a roof over our head, we have food, and we have relations, we have friends, we have work. I mean, and within all of that, Many of us have imbalance, and, and they come from societal pressures, from pressures of the of economic conditions, pressures of, of what the government is is uh, you know engaging in with with wars, anti-terrorism, whatever it is. There's a lot of stressors. Now, part of this podcast uh, intention was for us uh, when we, especially when we uh, talk to guests is to compare what it was as we were growing up, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and, and what the transformation, what, what the pressures were in the transformation was for us, and how that is very similar today. So uh, that's, that, that is there as well. But just the plain old get up in the morning, have your cup of tea or coffee, and get out and go to work and try and support and the family and friends and so on. And what are the things that, you know, the basic thing, and of course, the, you know, the Buddha's basic premise, without being any big spiritual term, terminology or anything, is that we all engage in suffering. There is no doubt about that. Everyone directly experiences that. And what else? We all want love. 
We want to be cared for. We want to f- feel, you know, human connection. I mean, this is our birthright. And of course, many of us grow up. There is abuse involved. There is distancing involved. There is a chemical imbalances involved. There is abuse of drugs and, and and alcohol and so on and so forth. So many stressors. So here we are, though, and and we are trying to be happy. And we, um, in our basic. Uh, DNA is we want other people to be happy. The, this is what His Holiness says in, in public events. As the basically all of us on this planet have the same experience. We want the same thing. So be that as it may, it's what are the things that we can do to get that balance? You know, what what are the practical things that we can do to deal with a mind? Uh, to 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 deal with anger, to deal with uh, you know intense attachments and so on and so forth. Then I guess we do need to address the the, the reality is, as David just said, here we are. We're doing this podcast. Somebody's listening out there, and they're going, okay, yeah, I I'm experiencing all kinds of things that I can't get through, and I don't have any any uh, you know big nomenclature about you know, practices and so on and so forth, I have what? I have the fact, I did tune into this thing, you know, and by the way, we are, if you go to uh, mindrollingpodcast.com, we will uh, we'll have resources up there. That's something, I, you know, David and I haven't even talked about, but we should have resources up there. Yeah. And we want to get guests on that can help elucidate a practical way to get balanced to deal with the the suffering that is inimitable in in our lives yeah i you know people discover things uh for themselves uh but that's hard because you need community in this you need to communicate with people about what works and um for most of real important yeah i mean for me you know the word relaxing is always a bit ambiguous to me because sometimes it means relaxing and sometimes it means vegetating so i my whole life have been using books and reading uh to both entertain and to throw me out of this sort of tortured twisted moment i might be having where i'm worried where there's anxiety the question is are you distracting yourself from reality when you read or whatever or are you actually learning something uh we might just do a quick um, commercial here, actually, for uh-huh, Audible dot yes, com. <laughs> our our sponsors who um, help us continue doing this. Yes, and, and actually, a lot of people now are turning from actually reading books to listening to them uh, while they're driving or while they're just relaxing, whatever. And uh, we might say that Audible dot com uh, has a, a thing where you can uh, get a, a free month trial you get or at least you, you you sign up for a trial and you get you a get free, a free book. book and if you go to mindrollingpodcast.com uh, there are uh, links, links to there. that yeah. uh, and we should say that and we, we feel nothing negative about uh, this particular sponsor because what could be better than actually listening to wisdom and we, wonderful stuff we can't say anything negative about any sponsor that no, would love a, to come and help move. support our little endeavor here <laughs> no. aside from the service that this is mm-hmm. oh, and we invite everybody to go to the website and please do support us 
um, there, there's a place, uh, a button, donate button there. You can help us. That would be great. The question to me, though, and to get back to it, you know, in terms of living in the present, I learned enormous amount from Ram Dass and from his teachers. Um, and, of course, he had a, a large sort of volume of wisdom in his, in his heart and in his mind by the time he started talking to us. But he is one of many, if you look back, you know, you can look at St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Francis or, you know, any kind of person of, uh, who ha managed to communicate what it was that put him in the pre put him or her in the present. To keep going back to that, okay, what does that mean? What it means is for a moment, for five minutes, for five seconds, whatever, stopping the static. The static is what is, is, is making us anxious. It's thinking about the, the mistakes of the past, the abuse of the past, the regrets of the past, and aspirations which are sometimes false and fantastic for the future, when all we have for our whole life is the continuing present. So that's where a lot of the wisdom is, is to stop. Just stop for a moment. And no matter what is going on, okay, you're in Iraq and you're fighting a war and someone's throwing, you know, grenades at you. What kind of wisdom is this for that? Well, uh, you, you are where you are, where your karma has put you and where you think you should be. But I think this holds true, that if you can just find a little moment, just a little moment to go, okay, I'm eating an apple. I'm not going to eat it fast without thinking about it just for fuel. I enjoy the fact that this thing grows on a tree out of nowhere. It happens to fit into my hand and then goes into my stomach and my intestines. Does me good, makes me feel good, and does me no harm, and is just there for free or for a penny or two. These, you know, and those that don't get this will call this all kinds of strange idealism and hippy-dippy nonsense. But I know for sure that when I stop, if I stop the rat race in my brain and go to one of these and, and seize the moment and say, okay, this is a blessing, I'm alive, um, the gift of life. We know it's impermanent. So holding on to stuff and wanting to possess life and wanting to forever have this stuff you have now forever, knowing, because we all know it, that it's going to go away, that is a stressor. And that stressor can be overcome by enjoying the pure living nature of the present. I don't want to sound like a preacher here, but I think even Christian <laughs> traditions have, have said this, you know, that the blessing of just being alive. But then again, you can go to the other thing of, well, what if I'm alive and I'm in pain? What if I'm alive and I'm broke? What if I'm alive and I can't support my children or I've lost my job? What are the techniques that we can at least sort of push towards that we've actually experienced? No, nothing abstract here. What are the things, Raghu, that can help in times of adversity, not just in times of ease? That's the real question yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, and practicality has the within it practice as well. Um, and one of the, th I mean, one basic way, uh, I mean, a lot of everybody's problems, you know, emanates from mind. Your mind is just a monkey mind and you're just chasing every thought and that is really that whirling uh, treadmill um, that, that you can't get off. Uh, and every tradition, you know, every, uh, uh, every teacher that is teaching anything about how to get in the present 
certainly advises some method by which you can become one-pointed. And becoming one-pointed, I mean, through, it can be work. It can be, uh, obviously, through meditation practice and so on and so forth. But uh, certainly to be able to get into the practice of not following your thoughts is, is an essential thing. Now, we're getting way too, you know, you're getting preachy and then I'm getting preachy. It's like <laughs> some bad kind of um, precedent you're setting here. How about, let's hear a little bit about uh, the practicality of, uh, let, let's talk about uh, experientially um, what uh, both, I mean, we have gone through a lot of stuff over many, many years um, and, you know, Awareness uh, is is a uh, a key device as well, so you can understand. You can really have some kind of vantage point. You can see and have a sense of humor about it, the lost we you know can be at times. But uh, give me. Uh, well, you know when I've been uptight, which I've been ten million times, because I'm a pretty uptight guy. Sometimes are you? Yes, or at least excitable, and can get no. But I can get explosively upset about the fact that you know I'm late for a plane or something, or even late, you know, just to get to see someone, and start sweating and everything. And something that everybody has always said to me throughout my life, spiritual or not spiritual, said, "Come on, chillax, relax, breathe." <laughs> and now I know that that is the gift, the breath thing, that it's the simplest and most central part of our life. We all breathe, we all eat too. And we all go to the bathroom, but we all breathe all the time. And when I've been told to breathe by someone who cares, what they're saying is just take a deep breath and give yourself that moment to own the moment and also to see what it is that's flying through your brain and see if you can just look at it and go, okay, what am I really worried about? What is, what is worrying me here? What's killing me here? What's killing me here is that I simply cannot pay the bills this month. Well, it can't hurt, really, because I, I, this is what I found. If I just will go, okay, breathe. And, I mean, you can take that as just a slow breath in and out, or you can start doing more complex things like breathing from in the left nostril and breathing out the right nostril, or breathing in the left nostril and breathing out the left nostril, and the same for the right. Very simple stuff. This isn't, this isn't esoteric stuff. This is really... Why didn't you tell you know, me about this before already? Because, because I, of, I just read about it about two minutes ago. No. <laughs> what kind of friend are you? About three, I'm not. I'm, I'm terrible. About three so, weeks ago, I was on my way to the airport with my wife, okay? And she was a little bit late. I hope you're not listening, sweetheart. She is. Um, and so we got off quite late. So I started speeding mm. on the highway at, what, it was like 5.30 in the morning. Who would be out there? Police. They were... <laughs> They stopped me, and I said, uh, you know, I'm very sorry we're late going to the airport, and we're in the south. He said, well, you can take this ticket, and the judge going to hit you out because you were, you know, way over the speed limit. Anyhow, get to, by the time I got to the airport, um, first of all, of course, then I was blaming her for this whole event. Typical. And, it's and just, then, this, yeah, you and, don't know this out there, but this is... Really yeah, typical. terrible. Uh, and and then of course, you know, finally made it to the airport, and then they wouldn't take our bags. We had too much luggage. Whatever it was, it escalated from one thing to the next, including the plane being delayed by about four or five hours, and uh, missing the connection. 
I could have used that breathing exercise. Well, I wasn't or, there. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, what about the time that you left here and you ended up uh, in a rainstorm and sleeping in a wheelchair all night, and then I spoke to you the next day. You weren't exactly using that breathing. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I'd actually run out of curse words. I was trying to think of new curse words because the ones I, you know, well, you know, another part of this is that you can't kill yourself on this. There are times when anger, anxiety, well, anger is never good. Nothing ever good comes of anger, but anxiety comes mm -hmm. and sometimes you just have to kind of live with it for a minute because it's just impossible to overcome it. If you're stopped by a cop or if you're, if the plane is like the plane I was on two days ago in a rainstorm was doing dives and jumps <laughs> and it, breathing. Hell, I actually did do breathing because it was scary and it helped. But, you know, that's not as bad as something actually coming at you, which is really dark. And how are you going to deal with that? We've all had the experience of working in an environment and somebody being there who just gets your goat constantly, who's just mm. at you. And, and it depresses you, it depletes you of energy. You go home angry, you get up angry, you, and you're also scared and, and, and hateful about this because someone is really being nasty to you. Everybody works, everybody's been through this. What are the things that you can do that can help those kind of situations that are just universal? And I think you can't maybe use it on the spot. Yeah, that's key what, right there. But what yeah. you can do is something like a practice. Now, practice has begun to mean, you know, meditating or all kinds of yoga, all kinds of, of, of very, very special and wonderful practices. But the word practice is really, you know, if you, if you sort of look at the word, it means just practice for the time when you're going to need it. Mm -hmm. So... You know, practice, what does that mean? Well, when you wake up in the morning, instead of immediately letting it all flood into your head, oh God, I forgot to do that thing. I've got to get to the office early because I've got to make that happen or I've got to get to the, whatever it is. I've just read so many times and I believe it. When you wake up in the morning, first of all, be quite happy that you're waking up. Yes, number one. Yeah, it's great. My eyes are open. I'm not paralyzed. <laughs> uh, I'm not being tortured in an Afghani jail, etc., etc. I know breakfast will be there. Uh, just let it all hang out for, you know, give it a minute, give it five minutes just to lie there and just be calm with yourself. Nobody's attacking you then, hopefully, except your wife, because she has good reason, but, <laughs> you know, apart from that. And even that, they say who they are, wise people, <laughs> say that if you can just do a simple thing like that, it actually infects the whole day. Mm. It's not just that moment. You will find that the next anxiety attack that comes maybe three hours later in the lunchroom at work. The fact that you've actually had that moment, you know what they say? They say that meditation, and I'm talking about meditation in a very basic way, like appreciating the morning, that it, every experience and every experience of practice actually changes the neurological structure of mm. your brain. Experience actually changes instantaneously the way the brain actually physically is neurologically. I mean, compassion for other people, that's yeah. been proven as well. Yes. Um, and... You know, let's not forget a terrifically important thing, which is a sense of humor about our predicament. Yeah. Trungpa Rinpoche, a great, uh, another, here we are, talking about esoteric lamas, but uh, we can't help it because it's who we are and it's who we grew up with, and so we're going to pass on whatever it is. But uh, Trungpa used to... Well, just to tell you a little bit about him, okay, because he was a very special being. He came out of Tibet, he escaped out after 50, 1959, and he ended up in, uh, in England, and he ended up at a, a very um, high-end institution 
can't quite remember. You should know. You're from England. Uh, maybe it was Cambridge. Uh-huh. Anyhow, so, and then there was a monastery started in, in uh, that he was the uh, abbot sort of of. And uh, at some point, he decided he was not going to follow the rules of dress and other uh, rigmarole of being uh, a Tibetan Lama. And he, so he dressed as a Westerner. And then he took up with a Western woman. Uh, her name was Diana, I believe. And uh, if, uh, he used to drink quite a bit. Now, this can all get a little confusing because this guy was one of the most important uh, Tibetan lamas to come from Tibet in, in the last uh, 50 years, for sure. And he had something to offer that was exquisite translation of these esoteric teachings into practical uh, um, here we go again, that word, into practical, that you could put into practice mm. without having to be a, 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 you know, a monk in a cave. Mm. Um, and, but he did drink and he did carouse a little bit, to say the least. And, uh, but here, like he would give a lecture and he would drink sake. I mean, he must have I mean, he must have drank a huge bottle of this. Have, did you? Raku, I always thought he was drinking water. I was like, God, this no, guy's drinking a lot of water. And, no, but I, what happened one time when I was up in, in Tail of the Tiger, which was the name of his place in, yeah, Vermont, in Vermont, I went up there a lot. And one time, I didn't know anything. I was naive. I didn't know anything that he was drinking sake. And I saw him drinking water. I thought, I should drink more water. It makes him look, it makes him really articulate and fluent. He got more and more articulate. Uh, yeah, he was. The more drunk he was. And, uh, and he... He would even just the way that he put the little <laughs> tumbler of uh, of sake down on the table, it was like watching some kind yeah. of perfection. Yeah. So uh, now you know, it's hard to kind of say. Here's an example to follow. I mean, because <laughs> just it get, wasn't get loaded a lot, you know, and and have sex with a lot of women. Yeah, uh, but hey, it, that that sounds good. Although it's something you and I could probably never as, done it. Never. To. I hear that sex is great. I had it once. Somewhere. You did yes. once. Anyhow, I think. I think. Um, so, but on another. I mean, so there's multiple <laughs> levels here, uh, and in another level, this guy, this this Lama Trumpa Rinpoche, opened up so many doors for so many people um, because of his sense of uh, of what the Western mind needed. I mean, he was tremendous that way. Uh, and now I had, uh, and David and I had another uh, a teacher, an Indian man who, in a funny way, was similar to Trungpa. I mean, no, I've never even, you, can you uh, guess who it is that I'm thinking of? Mr. Tuari yes, is certainly, go. certainly yes. a human being, yeah. you know, and, and a master, but yeah. a very recognizably human being. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Mr. Tuari was a, a, a principal in um, India, a, a very headmaster, of headmaster of boys' school, boys' school, right, and uh, was a, a, a devotee and the greatest devotee, maybe one of them, of the great Nimkarili Baba Maharaj, and um, uh, he came to the United States. Uh, uh, I know that Raghu and Krishnadas and others brought him here and um, stayed in Westchester. And then one day I got a phone call uh, saying he wanted to come and visit me in my apartment, which shocked me 
because I was sort of a, a bit of a miscreant as far as the satsang goes. But I thought, wow, this is an honor, amazing, you know. So he arrived with, with uh, two women friends uh, who escorted him. And I said to him when he walked in my door, I said, Mr. Tuari, I'm just so, I'm so honored that you're here. I mean, why are you here? And he said, well, you know, David, um, I like you. You're a very nice man. Uh, but, um, you know, I can't smoke my cigarettes in Mohan's house. And they tell me, you, you really don't mind if I smoke here. And I said, no, no, no. But that was the introduction, you know. Mm. And then he sat down, and it was a relaxed, lovely, humorous couple of hours. But it was just his presence. His presence was so beautiful. He was a beautiful, beautiful, radiant being. But there was nothing, nothing preachy. We're more preachy than he was. He could tell you the truth, and he could key you into certain stuff. But he was a kind and recognizably human and humane being. Yeah, but uh, you know? practic- the, the, the feedback that he gave, because he didn't yeah. sit there and give talks or anything, you know, no. like you would imagine some teacher. I mean, he was just, like David said, a regular guy. But the, he also understood Western mind extraordinarily well and really, really helped us uh, in the moment. He was like uh, that old, you remember that old comic strip, Mr. Natural? Uh, what's his name? He used to... R. Crumb. Art, art, yeah, right, R. Crumb. Yeah. Um, Mr. Na- he was like Mr. Natural. And so in the moment, whenever you went left or right in your thought process or you got caught, he's, he would say, this was his mantra awareness my boy mm. and you'd stop in your tracks talk mm. about i wish the hell we, you know we had him here i wanted to just mm. be with him every moment so that uh, you know i'd have that mirror awareness awareness so important so yeah. going back to the sense of humor about our predicament i think is yeah. entirely important i mean when because we screw up we, all the time and we forget all the time there is a point, though, in terms of practicality, to trying to get yourself a little bit straight. Even, you know, waking up in the morning and being thankful for being awake. Just starting somewhere, you know. You hear somebody says something. I mean, we owe uh, this podcast to Duncan uh, Trussell, who, Duncan Trussell Family Hour, folks. Incredible podcast. Great, great um, show. Probably many of you are listening here because you heard of us on, on his show. But... Um, you know, he he turned us on. He turned us on because he he wanted to pull out these uh, practical methods of you know how how to deal with this crap that's going on right now, how to deal with our lives, and so on and so forth. I mean, and his intention is so strong. That's what you need to start with. That's what I need. That's what Dave needs on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's and the other intention. thing. That's the other thing I think we should stress, that this isn't something you learn and then it just flows into your life for the rest of your life. One of the big difficulties of life is making it a daily thing. Because every day for me is a new challenge. And that sounds like a cliche, and it is. But the fact of the matter is I can get angry in five seconds. I can get angry watching the news, watching the news and seeing some you know, absolute hypocrisy or lie being spouted at me. I can get angry because somebody is ta- is walking slowly in front of me on Fifth Avenue mm. <laughs> and I can't get by them and I'm going, would you, would you just, could you, and that's not even driving, it's walking. <laughs> I have to pull this back. One of the things that Trungpa did once, which blew me away, it was in a little church in Vermont where we used to do the thing and he was talking and he, as Raghu said, he spoke immaculate English and, and was extremely communicative. And then about 20 minutes into the talk, some guy, 
stood up and went, <laughs> and then Rinpoche just went on, Trungpa just went on talking. Throughout the three hours of this teaching, every so often, this guy would stand up no. and just talk gibberish for two minutes. No. <laughs> and he never stopped. All that Trungpa did was smiled. And eventually it dawned on me that we were being stopped in our tracks from even just even listening to, to Trungpa, that what he was doing, and there was some kind of conspiracy between this guy and Trungpa, whereby he was stopping us from being complacent about being students, great Buddhist students with a great Rinpoche in a beautiful church in Vermont. No, he wouldn't even let that remain static. He made us aware of who we were, what was going on, because everybody started looking around going, who is this lunatic? <laughs> but Trungpa just smiled at uh, him, laughed great. a little, took another sip of sake and went on. And, you know, that was one of the great things about Ramdas too. The good teachers and friends, you know, they get to you by telling the truth about themselves. Yeah. And that is the most practical of all things, because when some... You, in your quote at the beginning, Raghu, from, um, from the thing you said... Um, one of the biggest problems is people don't tell the truth about what they're feeling to other people. And therefore, there's a whole false life going on for all of us. How are you doing? Fine. How was your day? Great. How are your kids? Wonderful. How's your job? Terrific. Meanwhile, the truth behind that could be I'm having a lousy, lousy life. I was with a friend a couple of weeks ago and in New York, and uh, he said to me, you haven't called me for six weeks. Have I done something wrong? I said, no, not at all. Well, why didn't you call me? I said, oh, I was busy. He said, no, you're not that busy. Come on, why didn't you call me? I said to him, well, you know, man, I was depressed. Mm. He said, well, I've only known you 42 years. That's the first time you've ever said you've ever been depressed. Mm. And I said, you know something, that's true. And that was pride on my part, that I didn't want to admit to him that I was feeling right. down about something. Mm. I was a little sick, but that wasn't it. I was depressed because a particular project that I want to get going has been dragging its feet now for three years and I'm, I'm losing heart about it and I let it overcome me mm. and go, ah, my life is a cipher. It's a zero. I might as well just jump off the top of a cliff and immerse myself in oblivion. And you know, that's real selfishness in a way. But the fact that I was able to admit to my friend that I was actually depressed was one of those moments of breakthrough and the next hour of the conversation was real, was fantastic. And by the way, I was less depressed when I left his office. And I think that's the other thing, to get back to the beginning of this, you were saying, mm. Raghu, you were quoting this whole thing about our society is repressive still. It still doesn't really want us to tell the truth about what we feel. That might be a first step in relieving anxiety, I think, is to be able to talk to someone. Maybe it's not your wife, maybe it's not your husband, maybe it's not your children. Sometimes it can't be for all kinds of reasons. But if you can just express, and that's one thing about this generation, I must say, people in their 20s and 30s now that I've noticed, many people of that age that I've met in the last few years are much more direct about those kind of things these days. Mm. I think they've evolved a lot from what we were in the 60s. Yeah, when we smoked a lot of herb or, or did some masseter or something, we might come up with all kinds of stuff. But in general living, we were still caught in a trap because we were just coming out of the 50s, mad men, you know, and we were truly mad men and women. Now, I think there's been a real progression. I think people are much more able to talk to each other and say, you know, this isn't working for me, man. 
this just isn't working for me. And I'm not saying that's all over the place, but I think there is a progression. I think people naturally are beginning, are beginning to get rather tired of the facade. You know? I, yeah, Do you agree? I, Do you yeah, agree no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we see that because of uh, all the incoming mail that, uh, you know, uh, I've mentioned before that one of uh, the things that I do is uh, work with the Love Server Member Foundation, which is Ramdas's foundation, and it's dedicated to all of what uh, Neem Karoli uh, Baba has uh, has uh, disseminated through Ramdas and other people, others of us, and uh, and I see the incoming mail uh, email that come in from people of this generation, and uh, their intention is really set, and they are they have progressed. And it is different from when we were a little more flopping around. There's less flopping. I mean, they, you know, someone like Duncan, he wants this is he knows what he wants, and he and he wants specific practicalities about how to be in this world, you know, without having to join any bullshit. You know, there's no joining cults. There's no joining religions. There's no joining anything. I mean, we just. I mean, you know, we were lucky we were picked up by uh, uh, this being, you know, in India who we'll, we'll talk more about, you know, who, who he is uh, in another podcast named Karoli Bama, and, and given an example that the human potential is there. I mean, this being was, I mean, we were just magnetized by that love that was sitting in that energy spot, which we called Neem Karoli Bama. And that was a reality. And we understood that we all had that potential. And so uh, I think the, one of the most important things you just, uh, you know, mentioned. You said something important? Are you talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? Well, loosely speaking, very okay. loosely. Um, okay. But was uh, friends, friends. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. I mean, you and I have been friends for an awfully long time. And we've had each other to bounce out, uh, off of. And I think that uh, you mentioned that before. That's crucial. Mm. Absolutely crucial to have... A, uh, that's what in India, here's a, another, you know, esoteric, spiritual, far eastern term, sorry, but uh, satsang, you know, the community of fellow wayfarers, so that when we get together, we can recognize in each other that intention and we can support that. Boy, is that important. Yeah. I mean, is that important? I think also... You know, friends, I mean, Krishnadas has spoken eloquently about the difference he noticed when he was first in India and when he's been there recently of families and people together who can argue and fight vociferously yes, but remain right. loving. Mm, it, yeah. the, the arguments don't necessarily result in alienation or not talking. So it's just part of the deal. But there's something there about that tradition that allows people allows to be loving. To be. It, to care, yeah, just, yeah. you know. I, I, I have a thing, too, about the invisible people, you know, that we're all surrounded by all the time. I had an experience about a year ago where, you know, I had one of those moments when the cable guy comes, you know. And, uh, of course, they always come like three hours later than they should and so forth. And he came and he was a Mexican gentleman and he had a trainee with him uh, called Bert, who was a, an African-American guy from the Bronx. And he came into my. They came into my apartment, and which was chaos. And they couldn't find the cable wire, and they couldn't find anything. <laughs> and they were getting very frustrated. And I noticed that they were quite a couple. They were sort of like a, a, a Laurel and Hardy. You know, <laughs> yeah. one of them knew nothing. The other one knew everything. 
And I started, I said, well, do you want a cup of tea or something? He said, oh, are you sure? I said, yeah. So I was making the tea and I was in the kitchen. And then the um, Juan said to me from the living room, he said, um, what is it, this be here now? What, what is that? I think I know this Ramdas thing. <laughs> I said, I ran in. I said, well, that, that, that's the book he wrote in the 70s. He said, yes, I know Ramdas. I said, you know him personally? He said, no, no, no. Uh, I've read that book, but I, I, I'd forgotten. And he looked down at my books, and he noticed, and he said, you must be a spiritual kind of guy. I said, well, I could say that on certain in moments, two seconds a day. And we ended up having a cup of tea, the three of us, and mm. they did the cable thing really quickly, and, and then we spent two hours, probably no. lost their jobs, but they just couldn't, <laughs> we were just, they were just taking books out of my bookshelf. Oh, you're kidding. I said, what, so is this? what is this um, Taoist thing? And they were not by any means naive or ignorant about this. Mm. Juan knew a lot about, about um, yeah. philosophy. And when they left, I went down to the van with them, you know, and um, we couldn't leave each other in a way. And I'm not being, you know, over-sentimental about this. It was a really lovely moment. These are the invisible people around us all the time. One of the delights that you find, they say that if you smile, it automatically causes neurological mm -hmm. changes and yeah. relax, smile, chill. Um, when, when I was with these two guys, you know, I had a great sense of life about it and realized that when you decide to get out of your own misery and try and get into someone else's and smile at them and notice them and actually have a real interaction with them, even if it's a guy in Starbucks or a woman serving you or a gas station attendant or whatever, I'm not being patronizing here. I've had the experience many times of if you give that out, the reward is fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. a, there is a reward. That's one of the ways in which you can allay this self-absorption, this anxiety mm -hmm. that, that, that clouds our lives is by just looking at other people yeah. and, and seeing them as people. You yeah. know? And again, His Holiness Dalai Lama and other, others of his ilk, it's absolute that if you engage in... In caring and compassion for other people, you absolutely get out of the tyranny of self-absorption and me, 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 me. And here's, I think we will we'll end this uh, with another wonderful little quote from uh, Khandro Rinpoche. The pull of our habitual patterns does not allow us to remain in touch with what is truly beneficial and good. And namely, that is our original motivation to help our fellow human beings. I mean, is, it, no. is that terrific? It's perfecto. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. So that's a good starting point. And it's a good ending point for Mind Rolling. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com and all sorts of... Uh, uh, of uh, resources will be there um, and uh, links to uh, the Audible uh, uh, free trial as well as uh, you might even be able to buy a t-shirt by then Dave yeah if we can get that together yeah well we're trying so uh, <laughs> thank you everybody yeah roll on everybody see you later <laughs> <laughs>